Welcome to episode 51. I have a very special interview for you guys today with Brian Palm, an emergency room PA and the creator of My PA Resource. And we're friends. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. I can't believe we're at episode 51. That is crazy to me, and that means that I've been doing this for almost a year. I guess maybe I need seasons or something. This can be season one. Who knows? I'll probably just keep making episodes, but thanks for listening. If we've never met, I'm Savannah. I am a dermatology PA and the creator of the PA platform, which is a website for pre-PA students, PA students, PAs, just trying to get more information out there about our profession. So um, today I'm so excited because I have an interview for you guys with my friend Brian. So I have worked with Brian now for maybe two years. Um, I'm not exactly sure. But he is the creator of My PA Resource, which if you've listened to the podcast, you've definitely heard me talk about it, and today you get to hear him talk about it, as well as his journey to becoming a PA. And it was not, um, I guess, an easy one. He um, has really great insights as far as um, having a lower GPA and what to do about that, and then he also works nights. So it's taken us a while to get this scheduled, since we are on completely different schedules, but um, I've loved collaborating with my PA resource and Brian, and I think he's got some really great info for you guys. Um, and if you need help with your personal statement and you like what you hear about my PA resource, you can use the code PREPA Club for a discount at his website. So let's jump in. I'm so excited that we finally got to do this. Let's go. All right, so I am Brian Palm. I am a emergency room PA and the founder of my PA resource. We do personal statement editing for pre-PA applicants before you submit the CASPA. But um, did my undergrad at the University of Tennessee, um, and I've been working in healthcare since I was, I think, 19 or 20 years old. My first job was mopping floors uh, in an OR up at the University of Tennessee Medical Center, which was riveting. <laughs> and um, and after I got tired of doing that, um, I got a promotion, or at least I like to consider it a promotion, and uh, started working in the sterile processing department, which is basically the dishwashing department of the surgery department. So started doing that, working nights while you know being a full-time student, and then eventually did terrible in school. So I had to quit my full-time job and focus more on my academics and stuff. So, um, but anyway, so I, I held various jobs like in in healthcare, kind of entry-level positions before I graduated from college. And then after college, I had no idea what I wanted to do because having to, you know, work full time while you're in school, your grades tend to suffer because you just can't, you know, a lot of time of for sleep and studying and everything else that comes with college. So uh, I always thought I wanted to be a physician. I always thought I wanted to go to medical school, but then junior year once I, uh, you know, I had a bad semester and was like, you know what, medical school is probably not for me. They should uh, I should look into doing something else, but I had no idea what to do. I thought I wanted to be a microbiologist, and so I majored in microbiology and was going to work in a lab in Rochester, New York, for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but so senior year, I worked in a lab uh, at school and hated it, hated every minute of it, couldn't get the controls right, the control experiments right. So I <laughs> decided against that. And so having graduated, I had no idea where I wanted what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to help people in some capacity, but was unsure how. And uh, so I went to a small community college, did an accelerated EMT, um, EMT course, and uh, got through that in a few months and started working on an ambulance, which I liked, and uh, eventually relocated down to Atlanta with my then fiance, girlfriend, fiance, <laughs> now wife, um, and worked in a hospital as an ER tech since I had my EMT certification, then was exposed to the PA profession, saw kind of what they did, and you know, saw that it was just a few more years of school and the benefits of it. I could do everything that I wanted to do as a doctor, but as a PA without having to go to medical school. And, um, and then, so applied to, applied to PA school, somehow got into a couple schools and made it through and got a job in the emergency room. And I've pretty much been doing nights. I've been a PA for almost five years now. 
Um, and I've been working in the emergency room since then, mostly doing nights. So, and I love every minute of it. Well, you've come a long way. I know. <laughs> I know. It's been wild. So stuff there. So, yeah. and I already know part of this story, but tell me about, you said you got some bad grades in a bad semester. G grades and yeah. GPA are what everyone always wants to hear about. And I know you talk about it in our <laughs> pre-PA club Facebook group sometimes and are very encouraging. Yeah. But kind of tell me your take on that. You know, I, eventually I need to get my transcript so I can put it out there and so people can actually see. But um, my, my GPA when I graduated undergrad was 2.93, um, which is stellar in my mom's eyes, but not so much in graduate programs. So, um, but yeah, it was 2.93. I end up getting a couple C's. Uh, I got a C in physics. I got a C, I think, in uh, one of my chemistries that I took. I got a D in some class. It was like a medical pathology class or some some kind of medically related class. Um, I just for I don't know I don't know why I think that was just my bad semester. Like I said, when I was working full time and I was taking physics, organic chemistry, and biochemistry in the same semester. Um, yeah, and so that was not a good choice by me. So um, to all those people that are in undergrad still, don't do that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> while working full-time so that's ultimately what made me quit my full-time job was like okay I gotta start focusing on school if I want to do something with my life so but yeah but I got a my graduating GPA was 2.93 um, and before I applied to PA school I knew I had to take you know retake some classes and even take some prereqs and so I went to a, a small school down outside of Atlanta um, and retook some courses and I got a four I had a post-baccalaureate GPA of 4.0 and um, and so, you know, when I applied to school, I had a bunch of um, healthcare experience. I had a bunch of uh, hours working in hospitals, and uh, and so that was one strong point of my application. I could show schools that I had a strong, like upward trending GPA or post baccalaureate GPA. That you know, once I do actually dedicate my you know focus on my studies, that I am capable of um, succeeding, and. Um, and then my personal statement, you know, I, I applied, I think, to 13 schools, 12 or 13 schools. Um, I got two interviews and then two acceptances. And both interviews that I went to, they told me, you know, one of the main reasons why we interviewed you was because of your personal statement. And um, and so, you know, once that happened, I started interviewing um, applicants at my at my school when I was still a student and kind of sitting in on the interviews, helping the interview, going through their applications and asking questions. And I would focus myself when I was interviewing them on their personal statement like you know if they said something in their personal statement that i had a question about i would ask them or confront them and say you know what what did you mean by this or if they spelled physician's assistant in their application they were there for an interview i would ask them is it physician's assistant or physician assistant um but yeah but like i said both schools said that one of the main reasons why they interviewed me was because of my personal statement and so you know with that experience and after hearing that i, I thought well hey you know maybe there are other people out there like me that you know that have a strong, compelling story in their journey to become a physician assistant, and I can kind of help them, um, you know, tell that story that's unique to them and highlight why they would be a good future student and um, and all that. And so, I started editing the personal statements and um, a couple of years ago, and then found some people that are passionate about um, the person reading personal statements and helping the future PAs um, that are incoming like you and a group of others. Um, and, uh, and we're doing like, we're doing great work. I, I mean, we're, people are so happy with what we're <laughs> able to do. I mean, it, I love, I mean, you see them because I forward them to you, but like, yeah. I love the messages that we get from people that are, um, that once they get their essay back from us, because it's stuff that they don't even think about, you know, they think their essay is okay. That just needs a couple little tweaks, but you know, a lot of the time, it's, <laughs> a lot of the time, oh. it's it unfortunately needs an overhaul. And you know, that's where that's why we do what we do. You know, we help people tell their story, and so that's why um, I started doing that in the first place. So, but my background is very unique, just like everybody else's. I mean, everybody thinks that they're they're the typical applicant, and when in reality, nobody is. Everybody's got personal experiences and um you know work experiences or things that they've seen in their life that nobody else has seen and those are the kind of stories that we want to highlight in the personal statement but in your application as a whole too you know everybody's different um my story is unique to me there's not a lot of people that have a background like me that are you know where i am today 
you know, I was, you know, one of the, I had a sub 3.0 GPA and, and, <laughs> and before I moved my job in the last few months, I was the chief PA of emergency medicine at a trauma center. And so, you know, looking back, I never thought I would have been there and I never thought I would have been where I am now. But, you know, if you just kind of set your mind to something, you can achieve your dreams. So, yeah, I mean, it takes hard work, but it's usually yeah. doable. I mean, it just may not may not get there as quickly as you would like to is what I usually well, tell right. people. Yeah. You just take a little bit longer. And it's not like, it, it's not a quick path. Like a lot of people mm -hmm. are going to have to be patient. You know, you're not, you might not get in the first or second time, but you know, and if you need healthcare experience and it's hard to find a job, I mean, we, you've got to figure out something to do, you know, to yourself stand out from other applicants. And if that means working for a year before you get into PA school, that's, what you got to do, you got to wait, wait a year and get that healthcare experience to kind of, like I said, set yourself apart and make yourself more competitive. So, um, so yeah, so I just, it's, it is a long, stressful road, but if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's lots of people out there who can, who've done it and you can do it too. Um, yeah. so you said you're accepted to two programs. How did you choose which one you wanted to go to? Well, so my case was, finding out programs that I met the minimums for, <laughs> mm -hmm. especially GPA, because a lot of schools will have, you know, 3.0 minimum GPA, but there are a couple of schools out there that do uh, like 2.7, um, 2.75, I think, and the schools that I applied to, most of them, I still applied to 3.0 schools and I was completely written off um, before they even looked at my application because I didn't meet the minimum. And so that's, you know, something else. Like if you don't meet a minimum for a school, don't even apply to it because they're not going to make an exception regardless of what the rest of your application looks like. I mean, it's not anything against you personally. It's that they, their computers weed out people that don't meet the minimums. And so you're just wasting money on programs that don't, that aren't going to consider you at all. Like regardless of how much healthcare experience you have or, or even how high your GPA is, if you don't have enough healthcare experience or vice versa, you're not going to even be considered for their program. So, right. so the schools that I applied to, most of them were in the South, um, like the Southeast. Um, I applied to and got accepted to University of Bridgeport up in uh, up in Connecticut. But I applied there one because I met the minimums, and two because I I've always had a dream of living in, uh, or I had a dream of living in New York City um, back when I was young, and so uh, and so I thought it'd be cool to uh, go to Connecticut and live there. Um, not thinking about the terrible winters and the cost of living and, and how I hate the cold and, and all that. But um, oh, so, yeah, so, you know, but they, they had a great program or at least it sounded like they had a great program when I went and interviewed there and stuff. Um, but it, it was not going to be the right decision to move there. And so ultimately I, I was I applied to and I was accepted at South College in Knoxville, which is where I went to um, undergrad anyway, where some of my family lives and I've got friends there and everything. So, um, and I love their program. I'm so glad I went there. I wouldn't have gone anywhere else. Um, you know, they really cared about their student care still, I'm sure about their students, uh, their faculty's great. They prepared me well enough to get me where I am today. So, um, so yeah, but ultimately as far as, you know, what schools someone should apply to one, First and foremost, make sure that you meet the minimums because if you don't, you're just throwing money away. But two, look at a program, look at their uh, like their mission statements. Um, you know what makes their program unique uh, based on their website, or if you go to um, you know open houses that they have and everything. Um, but you know, make sure that you're getting yourself into you know you're committing yourself somewhere where you're going to be happy, where you feel like you're going to be prepared and. Um, and yeah, I mean, those are my main, um, I guess my ma my main pieces of advice. Like, make sure wherever you go that you have some sort of support system. And that's one thing when we were when I used to interview candidates um, that the programs wanted to make sure that they had a support system close by or you know within driving distance at least, because you know the first few months, especially of PA school, are awful. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, drinking water from the fire hose or whatever. So. Um, they want to make sure that you're not going to be overwhelmed and have nowhere to go and nowhere to turn to. Um, so make sure that you've got a support system in place before you just move across the country somewhere you've never been. Um, so I don't know. Those are, those are my main things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but the, so the schools that I applied to primarily, like I said, were those that I met the minimum requirements for. Um, 
because again, my case is kind of unique. So if my GPA was high enough, I could have applied to a bunch of schools and I would have had to put a lot more thought into it. But, you know, I applied to South College in Knoxville, got accepted. It was, you know, I had family there. I used to live there. And so that just kind of made sense to apply there. And the other ones were, like I said, around the Southeast where I either had, um, had uh, uh, friends or family or within, you know, close driving distance or so. Cool. Well, that makes sense. Um, yeah. How many schools did you apply to? Was it just a, a handful? So I applied to four schools. I only applied to the ones that were in Georgia, and now okay. there are yeah. five. But um, I did not have enough hours for two of the schools. So I got okay. instantly rejected from Emory because I didn't right. have enough hours. And then right. um, Mercer actually emailed me and asked if I would have the hours by the time I started. And I okay. replied no, and then I never heard back. So um, <laughs> the other two schools I interviewed in was accepted, but yeah. Um, yeah, my thought process was more. I knew I didn't meet the minimums, but I knew that if I was if I were to have to apply the next year, I would. And so I thought maybe going into it as a reapplicant, I would look better, yeah. um, kind of continued interest and improve my application because that was really the only thing I was lacking for them. But. And that's kind of, I wonder if that is, I don't know if you have any like, um, uh, like insight to that, but I don't know if that is a thing. Like if you apply to school, don't meet the minimum, like just to be a reapplicant. Yeah. I wonder if that, if that matters. I don't know if it does or not. I don't know. I mean, there are, I feel like there are some programs that really, um, want to see your dedication not only to becoming a PA but to them and are okay. more likely to accept a reapplicant and there are yeah. a few people that I've worked with or helped that um, they're great applicants they even interview they don't get accepted but they're told like come back next year and try again and then they're accepted um, right. and the first time they were a great candidate but yeah. um, they just kind of wanted them to, I think one word that gets thrown around a lot by PA programs is maturity and sure, they want yeah. to see a mature candidate. And if they don't see that, they may want you to just take some time to kind of, um, find your place, kind of make sure, confirm that this is what you want to do and come back right. and show them that you've been able to do that. So, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if, cause when we would interview candidates like two, three, four times year after year, mm -hmm. You know they would look and see like okay they're serious about it they keep improving themselves like you know we need to give them more of a chance but i think but i don't know how it works if you don't meet the minimums the first time like if you're yeah, consider, if they consider you a reapplicant like because i i wouldn't recommend somebody apply to a school if they didn't meet the minimums what they would next year to become a you know the only time that i will is if it's like literally their number one choice okay like if you fair. have this one program that you like would love to die to go to like don't do it for 20 programs but if there's right. one program mm -hmm. that like it's in your hometown or something like and that was my thing I mean ideally I wanted to stay in Georgia right. and so and I applied kind of I don't say on the cuff because I mean I was prepared but I knew that I only had 250 hours of healthcare experience uh, like okay I knew that there was a chance I wouldn't be accepted and so I mean, I applied assuming, and I think everyone should do this, that I was going to have to reapply. And yeah. the next cycle, I would have definitely expanded sure. much more broadly as far as location. Um, but for that first year, I was like, I'm just going to keep it small, keep it close, and see what happens. Yeah, um, yeah that's definitely, and I, I do see that too. Like, reapplicants tend to apply to more schools the second time too, just to mm -hmm. kind of, you know, broaden their reach, so which makes yeah. sense. Like I, I recommend that too. Yeah. But if, you, but if you meet the minimums and there's places that you would, you know, you're going for it. Might plan on, yeah, exactly. You might plan on applying to next year. If you don't get in this year, like just go ahead and do it the first year. And yeah, you never yeah. know. Like you literally, right. I, I mean, this is such a random process. I mean, yeah. I always tell people you can get an interview invite and a rejection the same day. Like, yeah, you just don't know yeah. what they're looking for. And, mm -hmm. Um, if you, my rule of thumb is if you meet the minimums, apply, like you can, you can keep working on it yeah. and gain experience and doing things forever and ever, but like eventually you just have to go for it and do yeah. it. Yeah. And I don't mean to sound like contradictory. Like my advice is apply somewhere where you have a, um, like a support system, you know, oh, somewhere yeah. that you're familiar with and stuff, but that doesn't mean like don't apply to maybe like some schools that you meet the minimums for that you would be willing to go to, you yeah. know, but just like as far as preference is concerned like try to go somewhere where you have a support system in place because you're gonna need it that's that's what i mean like it's not yeah. don't apply to 
programs across the country. It's just that kind of, you know, make your preferences, make your priorities the ones that, you know, you've got more support than, uh, than you would, like I said, flying halfway across the country or whatever that you've never been. So. Yeah. And you, I feel like everyone's different too in that. And you have yeah. to kind of pick out what's important to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, you need to pick, my thing is you need to pick somewhere where you're going to be happy and right. exactly. be able to stay there for two years and sure. be okay. Because right. that's why I feel like a lot of people leave school is they just, they're away from their support system. They, right. it's different than they expected. They, just went to a program because they accepted them and not because they really wanted to be there. So. Right. Well, and that's, that's like, you know, having, you know, retrospect in retrospect, me going to Connecticut, I would not have not been happy. Right. Like, you know, it would have been cool to like be by the city and stuff, but Connecticut would not have been the best place for like me and, you know, my family and stuff. So it's, it's like, it would have been cool to go there, but then having like taking a step back and being where I am now, I can tell other people like, be sure that you want to go somewhere, you know, for school. And like you said, you can be there for two years and not, you know, be well, unhappy. Enough. I just remember there are a few people in my program who just completely hated on it and hated on where we were. And so there was nothing to do. And really, yeah. like, I just, I don't know. I mean, it was frustrating for everyone else. Like, like you're here, be happy, like, plan a seat here, yeah, make day. friends, yeah. like, don't just complain and then go home every weekend. Like right. that's not great. So there's, some, there's somebody that I, uh, that I would interview with back up, up in Knoxville and, and they would say the best PA school is the one is the cheapest one that accepts you. <laughs> kind of. I mean, and I mean like, you know, there is some truth. Is, I mean, that was part of one. My things were location and price. Those For sure. Things, so, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So if you've got your choice, if you got your pick of the litter, you know, consider that as well, price and location. And, yeah. I mean, you know, ultimately, but, you'll have loans and you'll pay them back, but sure. I mean, yeah. less loans is better than more loans. Correct. Less debt <laughs> so, is better. That's yes. for sure. It feels good to pay them off. Um, mm -hmm. All right. I want to know a little bit about what your job looks like as an ERPA. I don't think I've interviewed an ERPA on here. Okay. Yeah. Well, well. I'm happy to be the first. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your insight. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, like I said earlier, like I, I do, I do nights in, in the ER. You've always uh, done nights. So when I first started, they they didn't want to put me on nights and right out the gate because there's not as much support on nights. You're not as you know staffed uh, a lot of the time, and so you're kind of more on your own. But you want to so do nights. I wanted to do nights. Yeah, I did nights when I was uh, before school, and then nights, uh, and then I just kind of liked the. You know, I don't know. I don't know why. I think I'm I did. glad I, someone likes it. I know. Well, you know, we've me. got you're right. We've got you know a two year old daughter at home, and um, and like it just my wife and I. It just kind of works for us. Like it works for our schedule. Um, I worked at another facility uh, for about four years. Uh, like right after school, I got hired, and my shift was uh, like eight p.m. to four a.m. And so I was home for dinner every night ish. I got to go go to bed most of the time, you know, before the sun came up still. And so I was gone all night, but I only worked 15 shifts a month, um, 15, eight hour shifts a month. And so I was basically I was working 120 hour shifts a month or 120 hours worth of shifts a month. Um, so which is basically 30 hours a week. So it's really not too bad um, from that perspective. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, like there's an incentive to work at night, too. Um, we get more, it's more like random at night. You don't know what you're going to get, what's going to walk through the door. I mean, I've, you know, I've seen everything from delivering babies at three o'clock in the morning to, you know, gunshot wounds that roll through the door and people having heart attacks. You see them one minute, next minute they're coding. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wild. And that's why I like it. I, before I graduated from school, I, I sat down with my, with my wife and, and I said, you know, I, I can't see myself working in an office and knowing what my schedule is going to look like every day. Like I've got to have that just like random, um, you know, you never know what you're going to, what's going to roll through the doors. So, so yeah, so I worked at my, uh, the previous facility, um, for four years. And then I recently just uh, moved somewhere closer to home. Um, that's not the last hospital was a trauma center. This one's not a trauma center. It's more of a community hospital. But now my shift is mostly nine uh, p to seven a, so it's a ten hour shift. So a little bit longer and a little bit later into the morning. But um, 
but yeah, I just hated like on days when you work on days, you um, typically in the emergency room, your shifts kind of fluctuate. You don't work the same shift every day. And so it could be from 6 a.m. in the morning to 2 p.m. or, um, you know, noon to 8 or, you know, any variation in between there uh, on day shift. And one one night you might have to stay till 9 o'clock and then be back the next day at 6. And so I just didn't like that variability on nights. I typically get to make my own schedule. Uh, it's me and somebody else that works the shift typically. And so if I'm working, they're off. And if they're working, I'm off. And so we can kind of, you know, swap and, you know, uh, work to uh, to work to uh, align with each other's schedules. <laughs> um, but, you know, on the downside to being in the ER, I don't get vacation time. Um, I'm not sure if that's across the board, um, but I work, you know, working um, right now I'm working 14, uh, 10 hour shifts a month. Um, so I only work 14 days. So I don't really need vacation. It's just, if I take a week vacation, um, and I'm going to pay for it the rest of the month because I'm just going to be busy, you know, like I just got back from the beach and I've got to work six out of seven days wow. all overnight. So, um, but yeah, so there's, it's pros and cons, but once I'm off, I'm off. I don't take call, um, unless some emergency happens, you know, I don't, I don't have to keep my phone on me or anything like that. Um, there's a friend of mine that went to the same school that I went to. He graduated a year after I did. And, uh, he was working in thoracic surgery right out of school, wanted to work in the ER, couldn't find a job with experience. And so, uh, that, that, uh, that didn't want somebody with experience. And so he got a job with thoracic surgery and said, Hey, like I want to work in the ER. I said, work there for a year and, you know, text me in a year or whatever, and we'll see if we can get you a job once you have some experience as a PA. And so we met up for lunch, and he's got his phone on him, and it's ringing off the hook, and he's like, man, I put in 100 hours the other week. Like I've, heard that's, I've heard that's a rough, it rough is area. terrible. Oh, so after hearing that, like, and so now so I got him a job in the ER, and so now he loves it. You know, it's like completely different. But, but people that do surgery, they, you know, they love that kind of stuff. They love what they do, and they're able to do, you know, a lot more than I can. I can't do surgery in the ER, you know, so it's just kind of what, what you want. You know, I know people that work in cardiothoracic surgery and, um, and all that, and they love what they do. And I did a rotation in cardiothoracic surgery, which I would recommend. I know this is completely off topic, but doing a rotation <laughs> in cardiothoracic, doing a rotation in cardiothoracic surgery was incredible. Like it was an incredible experience, but not something that I would want to practice just because of the call thing. Like you're there, you know, you never know how long you're going to be there. You don't know if you're going to get called in. Um, but with my job that, you know, you don't really have to worry about that as much. So can you talk about uh, what your level of autonomy is like? Yeah. So it kind of depends on the facility. I was talking to somebody about this recently. Um, the, the autonomy depends on the facility. So the last hospital I was at, you could be as independent really as you wanted to once they kind of let you off your probationary period when you first start. Um, I, I'm more of a purveyor, a um, like proponent of the collaborative relationship between like me and my docs and stuff. Um, I like, you know, talking to them and, you know, working you know, collaborative, co collaboratively, um, <laughs> caring for my patients. And so I would talk to them a lot more than, you know, some of the other um, APPs that I worked with. Um, the facility I'm at now, the, do the docs have to be very involved with the care unless they're a, uh, you know, a low, lower acuity patient. Um, the docs typically have to see uh, most, if not all the patients and, you know, work and more in conjunction, which is kind of what I'm looking for anyway. Um, but you know, I, I, they don't, they're not hovering over me for, with care and stuff. I just go in and see the patient first. We have a conversation and they go see the patient as well, like at some point before the, the patient's discharged. So, um, again, unless they're like low acuity, if somebody sprains their ankle, the doctor doesn't need to go lay hands on them necessarily. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, every facility is different. Some places won't let you see higher acuity patients at all. It's just going to be the ankle sprains and runny noses and everything. So, um, a lot of it just kind of depends on where you're at and what you're doing. But, you know, I know a PA that worked in New York City in one of the emergency rooms, and he was basically running an ICU out of the ER because there's no beds in the hospital. And, you know, if you're not on the verge of death, you're going home and there's just no room to put anybody. And so he was putting in central lines and intubating people and, and everything in the ER, which I can't do. <laughs> like, I'm not, you know, I, and I'm not, I could be trained to do that 
if I was at another facility, I think. But, you know, frankly, I don't I don't really have uh, as much of an interest, I think, as some people in putting, you know, and doing those, you know, central lines and intubations and, and all that. So, um, you know, different strokes, but mm, my job is, is unique in, in that way. And, um, and I'm happy where I'm at now. So it works. It works. Yeah. I have no desire to work nights. <laughs> I like the ER except for the broken bones. I have zero. Bones, you're... Bones uh, is your your thing that that will make me pass out. Yes, mine used to be eyes. Like oh, I okay. used, to, eyes are yeah, pretty, like weird, yeah. But now, like now, I don't care You're as much fine. anymore. But yeah, there's, I don't I don't remember the last time I got nauseated at work. Well, yeah, they tried to make me set a broken arm in the ER when I was there, and I had to leave the room. <laughs> I it was like an eight year old boy. It was his uh, radius and his ulna and they're like recreate the injury and then just put it back in place and i uh, started seeing stars and left the room and they're like you turned white yep yes i did um, resetting the phone yeah you well, might not do well you might not do well either, yeah i can i can sew somebody up any day and it will look yeah, beautiful sure. but yeah right. no mm -hmm. we put in an ankle one time this guy didn't want um didn't want any sedation Oh no! And his, his ankle was like almost backwards. No. His foot was almost backwards, and this guy just looked us in the eye the entire time as we were like setting his ankle and just crunching and not making a sound. I'm gonna make you pass out right now. Yeah, I, like those injuries <laughs> they show on TV. No, mm -mm. I, I do not watch. Yeah, but no, oh. but that, that's the great thing about the ER is that you see anything and everything, and I, like I said, I can't, I, I honestly cannot, I've got cases that have made me nauseous in the past, but I don't remember the last time that I was like, you're desensitized completely. Yeah, I know. Right. I'm just like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> it happens. It's just like with anything, you know, you yeah. do something enough times and see in, in enough times. I mean, the sick. first time I saw a skin box, I almost passed out and that was when I was in college and now I do them. So yeah, I just had never seen it, and I didn't know that skin looked like that on yeah. the inside. But now I do. Well, do you um, do like wound care and stuff at your clinic? Um, we don't do a ton of wound care. We okay. have a really good like wound and burn center, so okay. most people go there for like their wound, their like true wound care. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can do a biopsy or an excision, and that's fine. Like I yeah. cutting and like surgery, like like I love my surgery rotation. Like I can be like hands deep in a somebody and it's great but like yeah no broken bones <laughs> it's terrible um okay let's talk about essays because this yeah. is a hot topic okay how many essays do you think you've read in your life thousands <laughs> that's what i think 100 percent lots of essays okay. and i was thinking about it like i was thinking about this recently like trying to put an exact number on it yeah. But I've been I've been reviewing essays, and I even started like when I was applying to school. Like a lot of these, a lot of people will read each other's essays and stuff. But I started reading essays. I think it was two thousand and eight when I started looking at essays, and like obviously I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, but yeah, I've been doing it like around ten, somewhere around ten years. I started doing it more um, proactively, like when I was in school and kind of giving people feedback because I would do the interviews at school and. Um, kind of pass my feedback on to, to other people that were in the same step um, that were in, you know, uh, applying to school like I had been previously. And, um, but yeah, almost 10 years. So I've, I've read thousands of them and, and no two. So, and here's the thing. So I've read thousands of essays and no two are the same or even like similar. Yeah. So yeah. like all the feedback that we give, all the essays that we've read, I have not read an essay that's similar. Now, having said that, I have heard a story about somebody that posted their essay on a website for a review. And like, they to a random person? Yeah, like, this hey, give me feedback. This is my biggest nightmare. Give me feedback or whatever. And they applied to school, and then the school contacted them and were like, did you plagiarize this essay? And they were like, no. But they posted their essay on a public forum. But they, like, and I don't know what. Somebody else used it. Somebody else used it, yeah. Yeah. That yeah, when I see so many people even in our group and other groups and just on the internet in general like posting their essay or asking random people to read it yeah. and that like that to me 
is just a terrible idea. Like, that is literally asking for somebody else to use your essay. Yeah, and, like, I understand um, I understand why people do that. Like, they want feedback from as many people as they can get. But, like, keep in mind that a lot of the people that are reading your essay are um, in the same spot that you are and, like, mm -hmm. don't aren't as familiar with the application process and stuff. And so, you know, anybody – I mean, I like to think of it this way, and I've got a couple, like, analogies that I kind of thought of recently. But, like, you know, anybody can – look at your car if it's if something's wrong with it right but not everybody knows like how to fix it like they can give you advice on like oh well try filling it with gas or try you know changing the oil but like if you're not somebody who does it on a daily basis and actually knows what to look for if something is wrong with your car like they might not be the best person to ask for advice um you know i understand that people want as many people to read their essays and stuff as possible. And I recommend it too, but just kind of make sure that the feedback that you get are from people that have either been through the process before um, or kind of know what to look for. And, you know, PAs, I think practicing PAs are great um, to ha or like PA students, even if you can find any PA students to look at your essay, but like, that's what makes us different is that that's all we do is, you know, read these essays and stuff. And so I feel like I could talk for, three hours on like on <laughs> the personal statement and what to look for yeah what would, um, okay what's your biggest biggest pet peeve when you get a statement the one thing that like mi biggest mistake you see i guess uh you well, can so say my yours biggest, and i'll say mine yeah so my, my biggest pet peeve is different from like the most common mistake but my okay, biggest pet, pet peeve, is when peeve some, first pet peeve is when somebody writes physician's assistant like, I like can't, apostrophe S. Apostrophe that is S. Incorrect. I can't do it. I can't. Like I, so much. I see red when I see that. Well, if you spell. do that in an essay that I'm editing, you're gonna get a really like red, bold, red flag with lots of exclamation points I, behind I, it. I think when I see that, I write about a paragraph um, oh, no. about why it's physician assistant and not physician's assistant. And it's, it's silly. Like it is so silly. It's a punctuation mark and a letter. Right. Like I really shouldn't get as bothered by it, but for some reason, like, it do you have is. an so, opinion you know, on capitalizing physician assistant? I tend to capitalize it if I'm writing out physician assistant. Um, but I don't think it's necessary. Um, I, I, I say just write PAs, like write physician assistant one time and then, you know, then PAs thereafter. Yeah. Um, it's probably not the correct way to do it by capitalizing it, but I guess, I don't know. I guess I actually, you know what, when I leave feedback, I don't capitalize it. I don't have preference either way, but whatever, yeah. if they do it one way, I want them to do it that way throughout their whole essay. Right. I think it's That's just consistency. Yeah. I think it's more consistency, but yeah, actually, like now that I think about it, I don't, when I write physician assistant, like as I'm giving them feedback, I don't capitalize it. So yeah, I, I don't. I, I think I think either, either way is fine, but overall just write PA. Yeah. My <laughs> biggest pet peeve is using quotes. Oh yeah, like- I uh, just don't, yeah. I just, it just bothers me. Like, like a Muhammad Ali quote? Yeah, yeah. I don't like it either. Like just well, and I, I tend to mark through them too, um, because like they're cliche and like they're not gonna, have the effect that you want them to have on the reader the reader's day isn't going to be changed by this quote that you put in in the essay and like even if it even if it relates like to your story or like the theme of your essay like i still i still don't it think feels you should... generic and it feels like a reach to me right. and I well just... i feel like you can google because honestly out of the essays that we've read it's going to be like the same kind of quotes yeah. from everybody like, i think i've mm -hmm. seen a lot of maya angelou quotes a lot of like i've seen a couple of muhammad ali quotes um but but a lot of the quotes are like i don't know yeah very generic and and anybody can put a quote in but speaking of quotes i don't think you should um talk about like have conversations in i your don't either yeah that's not like where it's like two people talking back and forth like about like something that happened or or what i don't think that you need to do that i think you can just do without it and just kind of give a general interpretation of what happened but um but yeah um and then the most common thing that I see in essays that I, I correct are that people don't talk about in their personal statements, they're more concerned with like talking about their work history and that's fine, but they don't 
um, connect it to their journey or interest in becoming a PA. And so it's fine to talk about how you are a CNA or you know a medical assistant or an ENT. That's fine to talk about, but it needs to be relevant to your desire or motivator, motivation or desire to become a physician assistant that CASPA wants you to, um, that, that's the whole prompt of the essay is why do you want to become a PA? It's not about go in depth about your work history. I'll like, say it's not what, I, what I tend to do for those, what I find is they're telling me about their work history and I find myself questioning like, it sound, that sounds great, why do you, like why do you want right. to stop? You know, exactly. like how like you're happy. Yeah. <laughs> how are you limited? Like why are you changing it if what you're doing is so great? Right. Um, if you don't yeah. make that connection for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 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 exactly right. Like it's all about the connections that you make. Like what why are you telling me this story? Every mm -hmm. and I write this sometimes too, is like every sentence and paragraph needs to have a purpose. Like why are you telling me about your experience as an MA? Like they'll know that you're that you have that experience as a CNA or whatever from your transcript, or not your transcript, your resume that you have to submit yeah. and the rest of your application, but like, but why are you telling me this story about, um, uh, you know, this patient that you saw too? That's another thing. And another thing. <laughs> so if you're, <laughs> so if you're going to tell me a story, like a patient story, mm -hmm. I want it to be, um, I want you to tell me about how that experience influenced your decision to become a PA. And so if you're telling me a story to show that you're a good listener or that you're compassionate or that um, you're a hard worker or that you wheeled somebody out to their car and had a great conversation like when they left the hospital, like that's, there's no reason I don't think to include that because like anybody can claim that they're compassionate or a good listener or a hard worker. Like those are just words. I want you to tell me why how this position or tell me a story that helped influence your role like to become a, uh, a pa and or influence your desire to become a pa and so if as a cna you were talking to a patient and you know they were talking about their oh I, they just can't figure out what's wrong with my hip or something I, i'm just you know. mm -hmm. but you know they i had a long conversation about how this patient you know they couldn't figure out what was wrong and i realized that as a cna my scope of practice was limited and so i wanted to go back to school and expand my education so i could help others like her um you know be in less pain or or whatever but like you know the stories about um uh you know i was it was a great me and this patient really got along this patient was old and mean and she didn't want to talk to anybody but after weeks of um after <laughs> after weeks of me caring for her eventually we got to be friends and then she died like that doesn't that doesn't help me understand why you want to be a PA like it's great that you're a compassionate individual and like I respect that and keep that like keep your compassion even when you get through school but it's for the purpose of the essay you want to connect your stories to why you want to become a physician assistant and not to just the fact that you know you're a nice story for a story. yeah, yeah. I, I see the same thing in interviews but in statements what I find myself writing over and over as far as feedback is um, like this story told me a lot about patient, this patient told me a lot about Betty that like, I learned a lot about her, but I didn't yeah. learn anything about you. Like right. I, yeah, exactly. if I didn't learn anything about you or why you wouldn't be a PA, like it's just right. taking up space, which in a PA school essay, you only have 5,000 characters. You don't have space to waste. And so right. the right. other thing I write a lot is, you need to be direct and concise. Like I need you to sure. say things as quickly as possible and not be yeah. wordy. You don't need five descriptive words for one thing. Right. And you need to be very direct. Like just say what you mean and what you're wanting yeah. to say. Like don't try to flourish it or I mean you it's want a description, to show, don't tell, but like right. don't go overboard because Yeah. I think it's great to like provide imagery like mm -hmm. with the stories and everything, but yeah, extra adjectives like just to be wordy aren't necessary. We've got it like a little over a page, like a page yeah. and a quarter. It's just not enough space. Yeah, so we've yeah, you're right. Um and I'm gonna keep going. So another thing <laughs> um is like health his is health history and so your personal health history. Now mm. a lot of people that's have, a good question. That's something people ask about a lot is how yeah. how to include that. Should I include that? That type of thing. Yeah. So I think if you do include it, you can't say that you can't say early on in your essay, like I had a, a health scare 
And that's what influenced my decision to become a PA and then like move on from it. Like if you're going to mention it, you've got to go, you've got to talk about it. Like mm -hmm. it's not something that you can just kind of, you know, tease and then never address again. Like if this is something that truly did affect you and uh, your decision, like for your future career, or, like your interest in medicine as a whole, like I urge you to kind of, you know, maybe be a little bit vulnerable and talk about what happened and and I feel and like not... people need to be specific too, because you're writing no, an essay sure. that medical people are reading. Like if you just say right. like, I went to the hospital with this illness. Right. I mean, that's really vague. And but yeah, I want to hear about like what I need you were to feeling. Know, yeah. Like I need to know yeah. what your illness was. Cause otherwise, I mean, right. like, like I'm going to understand what it was or at least sure. probably have some background in it, you know? Yeah. Um. So it feels yeah. weird for you to just, like beat around the bush and not just tell me what was going on. But having said that, like having said, you know, talk about if it is something, if your personal health history did end up um, influencing you to uh, like pursue a career in medicine, don't spend your entire essay in an attempt to like get sympathy right. or like talk about how bad things were. Like that's not, True. that's yeah. not what you want to do either. Like it's okay to talk about, your personal experience, but you're not, don't no try drama, to like, no right. excuses. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, so I, I yeah, that that's... goes back to my, be very direct. Like this right. is what it was. And just like, that's what it was. And what's more important is what I learned from it, what, how it's affected me as far right. as me becoming a PA, like yeah. not just, yeah. Yeah. And like, and, you know, having said that, like with the excuses thing, so a lot of people talk about their like struggles in their essay. Um, and there's a couple things about that, at least with me personally. So um, some people, what they'll do is they'll have their introduction and they'll do a great job with their introductory story and like getting, you know, the reader's attention and, you know, peaking curiosity and kind of showing where they're um, initial interest in medicine came from in their introduction. But then in the very next paragraph, they'll say like, well, in my junior year, I really struggled and, you know, did poorly in some classes and like provide reasons why, but like that's, so at the beginning of your essay, you've got the most of the reader's attention you're going to get. So like right after the introduction, you tell a great introductory story, like you draw the reader in and then you say, I suck. And this is why. And so like, you don't, you don't want to do that. Like that it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to talk about, you know, it's okay to talk about some, some areas that, you know, might not be as, uh, you know, glamorous and positive at some point in your essay, but personally, and I, I don't, I'll tell you this, but I, <laughs> as if we're having a private conversation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing with just but, me. <laughs> but I'll tell them, I'll tell them um, to wait until, you know, there's supplemental applications to really go in depth about what happened yeah. because a lot of the time supplemental applications will ask, like provide, you know, us with more information you think that we need to be aware of. And so they give an opportunity for you to explain, you know, um, if you did have a bad semester or did poorly in a class, they give you an opportunity to do that. But from my end, from solely the personal statement in it, solely the personal, personal statement end, um, I think you should focus more on your strengths and why you should be considered for an interview rather than talking about like, you know, highlighting areas where, you know, that aren't so positive or uh, beneficial to your application as a whole. So, so just to kind of like take a step back and go over everything, make a good introduction, talk about your journey, about why you want to be a PA, talk about your strengths as an applicant um, before you uh, conclude. And just like, be sure that you talk about, you know, specifically why you want to become a PA over, um, like there's all kinds of healthcare careers in which you could help people out there. Why do you want to be right. a PA specifically? So yeah, you need to like the career itself, yeah. which is why you need a shadow. Um, yeah. Yes. So is all of this information probably and more in your video workshop on my PA resource? I think so. It, I mean, it should be. I think and it is. It, it's very comprehensive. If, if people do um, do the workshop and have additional questions, like they can email us and we'll answer questions. Like you know. That, that if something wasn't covered and, and people have some very specific um, and unique um, aspects, like there are questions that, that they things that they've been through or whatever in their journey. And so we can kind of help um, 
kind of cater more to that okay. if they yeah. if they need it. So okay, so they can reach out yeah. to you on the website, and then you're on Instagram. On Instagram, yeah, my PA resource. Um, should we talk about that thing that we've been? Oh yeah, our announcement. I don't think we can yet. You sure? I mean, we we can probably. I mean, it's signed. Like everything is signed. Let's wait a couple weeks. We have okay. an announcement, but I don't think we can share it yet. Well, just it's your show. Like, why not just? <laughs> we'll wait. We'll wait. We'll we'll um give it give it a couple weeks. Yeah, y'all have to tune back in for the special announcement. It's not and a small on deal. Instagram. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a big deal. deal. <laughs> I know. I just yeah, I'm so ready. Fun. And make sure what? we can announce it in the pre PA club too. Then so everyone should oh, yeah. join that on Facebook. Well, well yeah, y'all be sure to. Um, that's where we hang out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all we do. If we're not working or doing podcasts, all or we do is just hang out. Baby. With the- <laughs> I know. That's well, and, I and that's seriously. I am so happy with with how much that group has grown and like oh, yeah, people are so awesome. supportive and positive and like encourage each other yeah. and all that. Um, so yeah, we, it's yeah. Let me say before we go to um, for PA school prep, look into that too. So it's once for, you're accepted, and you're, once you're accepted, yeah, yeah, once you're getting ready to go to school. So PA school prep, it's online anatomy, physiology, and medical terminology review. Um, before you get it, before you actually start PA school. And so we found that like the average incoming PA student hasn't seen A and P in medical or at least anatomy and physiology in three years before they actually start school. And so while, you know, you do want to enjoy your last few months of freedom and vacation and enjoying yourself, like if you are looking for something, if it's been a few years since you've taken A and P, that's a great um, option too to kind of get yourself started before you jump headfirst into the, the shallow end. So, um, but yeah, so look into that too. Yeah, and we'll link but, to all of that in the description. But yeah, yeah we covered a lot. I'm looking forward to your. <laughs> I'm looking forward to our announcement. I know, me too. We'll, <laughs> we'll share very soon, so stay right. tuned. We'll bring you back. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it. Yeah, hey, if being a full time mom, um, <laughs> you know, running your own business, being a full time dermatology PA doesn't work out, maybe you can be a full time podcaster. I'll just do podcasts for my whole life. This is your. <laughs> No, I won't. I don't even list. I don't even like to listen to myself. So yeah, definitely not my thing. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So that was fun, right? You got to hear all of our personal statement tips and pet peeves. um, And there are probably more we could actually probably do another episode about personal statements. And maybe we should if that's something that you want to see, then go tell my PA resource on Instagram that they need to come back and Brian needs to do another episode. Um, maybe that will encourage him to sign up sooner. Um, but thanks Brian for coming on the podcast and I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you have any questions about my PA resource, um, reach out to me, reach out to Brian and we are happy to help. Everybody have a good week. And if you aren't subscribed, make sure that you click the subscribe button on iTunes to make sure you don't miss out on any episodes and leave me a review. Let me know what you think of the show. And if you have any questions, we'll get to those. All right. Have a good weekend, guys.